We are now present in Dr. Suli Sazaki's Science Research Laboratory on board the Starfish craft. I have to say I am almost speechless at the absurdity of this new information that Cynthia is presenting to us concerning the planetara Belius. Cynthia, is what you are showing on Suli's 3D holographic cube screen an exact replication of the planet Telemarius that we are orbiting around? You promised me that you are not just messing with our heads again, are you? Oh, no more, Captain. I have learned my lesson well. I no longer hide the truth from the crew as I am a respected member of the crew aboard this starship. So what you see here is reality concerning planet Terabilis. I believe Cynthia is reporting all factual information concerning planetary abelius, but the data is beyond our belief, or even the laws of physics. What do you mean, Suli? Give us an example. Well, we all know that our own planet Earth rotates on its axis once every 24 hours, right? All heads present nod affirmatively. Well, Planetara Belius rotates on its axis once every 24 million nanoseconds. Before all the gasps of disbelief subside, Dr. Suli Sazaki continues. And to cap it all, Planetara Belius is not a sphere. Planetara Belius is a sequence of six latitudinal continents or many planets. Basically, if you can imagine a theoretical string of six giant pork sausages, with the sausage tips connected at each end to make magnetic north and south poles, and over time, Terabilius's sun has cooked the latitudinal sausages to curve and form geographical linear continents, 
Then that is Planet Arabelius. If this is all true, then it is going to be more than a tad challenging to land our starship anywhere down on that particular planet then. We are now in the Justice Facilitator's Station, Central Cavern, Interview Room 13. Like all fictional and real-life police stations, the room is very basic, with a table and four uncomfortable chairs in the centre of the interview room. There are also five video cameras mounted on the walls and ceiling. You have been arrested by Justice Facilitator's according to the laws of the free state of Moontrose, to be interviewed by me, Superintendent Gilmore and my colleague, Inspector Janice Malik. Upon your arrest, you were given medical treatment for a taser burn and a standard truth capsule as prescribed by our Moontrose free state interrogation laws. You have also refused a legal aid solicitor. So our first question, Miss Snide, you were found and arrested on Platform 1 in possession of a Glock semi-automatic pistol with two bullets that had been recently fired by you. Do you agree that this is true? Snide's whole body stiffens with the tension of resisting to tell the truth. Fuck you. The contents of the standard truth capsule has just reached her synthetic brain. She is about to reluctantly spill the beans. As you have drugged me with your standard truth drug, then reluctantly I admit to the possession of the lethal weapon and the discharging of two bullets. Inspector Malik and Super Gilmore turn their heads towards each other and share a confident little smile. The standard truth drug really is a powerful component as is the use of non-lethal weapons to uphold the laws of Muntro's free state in the justice facilitator's fight against serious crime. And can you tell us who was responsible for the taser burn injury you suffered? Again, somewhat reluctantly, I can. The taser was fired at me by Mr. Archibald Voss. Archibald Voss is a person of great interest to us. Please tell us all you know about Mr. Voss. It may help lessen the sentence you receive at your trial for possessing and discharging a lethal weapon. I am happy to. Voss employed me as backup in his search for the Elohim necklace after you arrested all his other henchmen and turned them into trees. But it all has all gone wrong for him. After the successful theft of the Elohim necklace from Sluverby's auction house New London by his main man, Mr. Vicious, it all went wrong at the shootout at his import-export warehouse in the industrial estate in Moontrose when you and your justice facilitators arrived on the scene to arrest him. When you allowed that bloody Lady Jane woman into the warehouse office to see Voss under arrest, 
She had one of her drone cameras focused on Voss when she assaulted him. If you obtain the video of that moment you will see that when that bitch need Voss in his ghoulies. He keeled over with the pain and the necklace slipped out of his jacket top pocket into the bitch's handbag. And you call yourself Super Gilmore, Bah. What sort of detective are you? Snide smiles evilly and then realizes her mistake as the red-faced Super Gilmore says. The kind of detective that is hastily reviewing his earlier promise to put in a good word for you at your trial. I am sorry, Superintendent, but your truth drug is making me feel itchy and cranky. If it makes you feel any better, imagine how Voss felt at that knee-jerk reaction moment. So Lady Jane fooled you, so what? She was only getting her valuable property back any way she could. Besides, Archibald Voss is nothing but a bumbling fool of a criminal. He told me of his plan to dominate Moontrose by his ownership of the Aloham necklace. He may be a bumbling fool, but he is a dangerous bumbling fool. Do you know any more about his plans? Well, if your promise of a lenient sentence is still on the table... It is. If you can come up with the goods. So spill all that you know, now. Super Gilmore nods his consent. Well, I have only been in his company for a week or so. We seem to spend most of our time in a bar and grill situated in a temporal bubble. I don't know where it is though. I think it is called Wacka something. Wacka Rudy's. That's the name. Wacka Rudy's Bar and Grill. You can get almost anything you need there. Drugs, sex, weapons, a new identity. Anything and everything. We are at Wakarudi's bar. It is approaching 3 a.m. bubble time. Most of the customers of terrestrials and extraterrestrials are intermingling and coupling in semi-darkened booths. It is like they all have got no homes to go to. A few hardened veteran extraterrestrial boozers are still propped up at the bar. From his corner booth, Archibald Voss in his zoot suit and sporting his friar tuck bald hairstyle is watching two extraterrestrials at the bar with only an empty bar stool between them. On the left is a giant arachnid mercenary pirate fighter with seven and a half black hairy appendages, one of which is holding what appears to be a half full glass of Guinness. Of course not in the amputated stump of an appendage as he has a sharp pointed hook attached to the end of that one. 
On the right of the empty bar stool is a giant Buffonny Day toad, a terry, wearing the uniform of a terribilious registered cargo starship. The terry is also nursing a pint of Guinness in his webbed hand. Mr. Voss is fascinated by the animosity flowing between these two creatures sitting at the bar. Voss muses on the fact that possibly the only thing restraining these two extraterrestrials from punching each other's lights out is that they both enjoy a grand pint of Guinness. Old Wackaroody sure does keep a nice drop of the black stuff, to be sure. Some misguided folk think Guinness doesn't travel well, but I have no complaints. Nectar of the gods it is, to be sure. Suddenly, a holographic waitress appears at Archibald's booth, blocking off his view of the two Guinness aficionados. What may I get you, sir? Another liter bottle of solar flare, please? And a loan of a terminal with highly cloaked encryption for surfing the ET internet? If you would be so kind, my dear young lady, thank you. We are back in the Justice Facilitator's station at Moontrose, in Inspector Marlick's office. So what do we do with our prisoner now? We cannot send her to the Dome Forest to produce O2. Snide is a synth. Our gene-altering procedure only works on humans at present. Snide is a trained contract killer. She has no morality concerning who she deals with, or whether or not her target is a good person or an evil entity. So we offer her a contract of being an undercover agent working for us, the Justice Facilitator's office, to keep an eye on Archibald Voss. Well, Snide does seem to have a single-minded approach to her profession as an assassin. We could formulate our offer as an undercover agent in the framework of a contract killing. But why bother with Mr. Voss at all? Even Snide herself doesn't rate him. She said that he is nothing but a bumbling fool of a criminal. He may well be a bumbling buffoon, but Archibald Voss is rumored to have a few very rich and powerful contacts who routinely keep an eye on his latest audacious scheme. If they get to hear about his search for the Elodim necklace and why he needs to possess it so desperately, then maybe Moontrose could end up in deep shit. With a very powerful enemy demanding to take over our Elohim teletransportation station by force. Both officers sit in silence for a few moments to concentrate on the potential threat to Moontrose's lunar base that Super Gilmore has outlined. So that is the bigger picture as you see it then. Wow. Well Voss knew about the Elohim necklace long before anyone on Moontrose did. I know that the alien archaeologist and Greta T speculated its existence but not where it was. They had not a clue. It was Archibald Voss who knew that the item was up for auction. 
Lady Jane only attended the auction at Sluverby's because she had a dream, a premonition there was some item for sale at the auction and that if she purchased it, it would spark off her next streaming video adventure, as indeed it did. Who knows if a megalomaniac with untold power and wealth is stalking Mr. Voss to our very front door here at Moontrose. I'll draw up a unique undercover agent contract that will stroke her ego no end. And a spy fingering and choose a beautiful one so that she doesn't throw it away once she is out the front door. Oh, and let her have her Glock and ammo back. That may help her think of a convincing escape story to satisfy Archibald Voss. Right, Super. I'll also escort her to Wake Rudy's entrance portal too, in case she has a bout of cold feet. I do hope we are doing the right thing here. Archie Wald Voss has been somewhat busy since we were last here with him in Wakarudi's bar. He has been surfing the ET internet for the piece of video that Lady Jane's golf ball sized drone camera had captured in his import-export office when he himself and Mr Vicious were being arrested. He had watched in slow motion at least near a dozen times or more the moment when the media bitch's kneecap collided with his testicles and he had doubled up with the pain of it all. And yes, indeed, he had seen the petite golden chain and amulet sliver from his jacket pocket and into the lady's open handbag within a blink of an eye. Each time he'd watched the slow-mo video snatch, he cursed the gods upon high for that ill-timed simple turn of fate. In fact, he had nearly depleted his second bottle of solar flare by swallowing shot after shot as he watched over and over again the Elohim necklace leave his possession so cruelly and unjustly. After medicating his anger so with solar flare juice into a tempered steel blade within his self, he vowed there and then to hunt down that bloody woman and reap such devastating vengeance upon her and take back his precious amulet. Further solar flare soaked surfing of the ET internet rewarded Mr. Voss with the information that Lady Jane Storm was now a crew member aboard Captain Spud's new starfish shaped spacecraft bound for planet Terribilius on an unknown mission. At this point, Mr. Archibald's head looks up and stares benignly at the arachnid mercenary pirate and the Buffoni Day Terry Toad, who are still drinking Guinness at the bar, as if they are a gift from the gods upon high that he had previously cursed for his earlier fall from grace. So when Snide returns to Wakarudi's bar to reconnect with her boss, she finds Archibald Voss ensconced in his favourite booth with two weird extraterrestrials seated there and all three of them drinking pints of Guinness to boot. Mr. Boss breaks off from the conversation and looks up at Snide standing at the entrance to his booth and says, Well, 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 
The prodigal assassin returns. With no fucking help from you, you abandon me for the justice facilitators to pick up as a sacrificial offering. Well, I fooled both you and them. I managed to roll off the platform and hid under the hovering tube train. There was enough of a gap in the magnetic field. Mr. Voss gives a friendly smile back at Snide while gesticulating an order to his waitress for four more pints of Guinness. Congratulations. I knew you're such an adroit and resourceful little synth. Much respect to you. I have just ordered another round of drinks. You will imbibe in a pint of Guinness with us. To show no hard feelings. As I have a new plan to regain my Elohim artifact. And I must introduce you to two new members of our little team. This here is... Well, his name translates into Fly Killer. And over here is Tokane. No translation needed there. Snide sits in the booth and shakes appendages with Fly Killer and Tokane as the waitress returns with the Guinness order. Nice to be working with you, Fly Killer, and you, Tokane. Tokane here is a stevedore on board a terrabillion starship freighter called it translates as the heavy cow she is a class 3 general carrier with lackluster security standards so he can assure fly killer myself and now you snide of stowaway passage to a major terrabillion spaceport of course we shall have to rough it a bit, but needs must when the devil drives. But why the hell do we need to travel to planet Terabilius? Because that is where that bloody Lady Jane will be with my Elohim necklace. When we catch up with her, I shall command Fly Killer to do such unspeakable things to her to retrieve my artifact. But why the hell do we need to travel to planet Terabilius? Because that is where that bloody lady Jane will be with my Elohim necklace. When we catch up with her, I shall command Fly Killer to do such unspeakable things to her to retrieve my artifact. That so makes my blood boil. Mr. Voss is a real threat to Lady Jane and the Moontrose state. We were right to send Snide back to him. And her tale of escape was a cute and concise lie on Snide's part. I think he really has swallowed it. Well, Voss himself said that she was such an adroit and resourceful little synth. Much respect to her indeed. And now we have two new names that may be of interest, Flykiller and Tuckane. I will check to see if we have jackets on either of these two.
an arachnid mercenary pirate and a dodgy bufanity terry toad. They are bound to be on a security warning list somewhere. But how do we get in touch with Captain Spud and his crew to warn them? That new spacecraft of his has a mind of its own. Meanwhile, back in the science research laboratory on board the starfish craft, Captain Spud, Dr. Suli, Slight and Synthia, the starship's mega synth brain, have exhausted many hours and brain cells on the perplexity of how to land the starfish-shaped spacecraft on planet Terrabilius, when the planet revolves on its axis at a speed of 24 million nanoseconds per revolution without crushing their starship on the surface. Finally, Cynthia, like all good parents do, is to recommend a good night's sleep for all those in her care. Look here, you, you folks are so tired. We, we together are not going to solve this brain teaser now. Go to bed and have a good night's sleep. And while you all are sleeping, I will be able to expand my mind to encompass the planet Terrabilis and run a few simulations on this enigma. And by breakfast time, I guarantee that I will have the solution to a little itty-bitty problem. As Slight and Spuddy stroll along the extended corridor of the 12 o'clock appendage to its tip, which was now the refurbished original Spuddy 1 space cruiser, where their sleeping cabin was situated, Slight whispers in Spuddy's ear. I have a very erotic surprise awaiting you in our cabin, so perhaps you are not too tired yet, are you, sweetie? Spuddy shakes his head vigorously. Of course not, beloved. But what is it? Wait and see. All I can tell you now is that I purchased this item from the naughty section of Amazon.com. Tell me more, my little passion flower. Oh, Spuddy. Well, the Amazon courier's name was Jeff Bezos. He delivered the package personally. The thought of Jeff Bezos having to clone himself many thousands of times to ruthlessly ensure that Amazon is a non-union business, well, that dollop of information has just torpedoed my love boat somewhat. Sorry, lover boy, but we are here now. All can be revealed. Step in and there it is. I'll let you open the box. See, it is a marital aid, a multidimensional projector complete with a couple's pair of skull caps for giving and receiving of all neuronic sensations during lovemaking. But what does it do? It is supposed to give us multidimensional orgasms that can last for hours or to near infinity depending on what setting one chooses. Yes, but is it safe? 
Of course it is. Jeff Bezos wouldn't sell anything from his Amazon store that is dangerous, would he now? I was only asking about the safety implications, because I remember when I was a child, my dad made my mum order from her mail-order catalogue, K's 1962-63 Autumn and Winter Edition, an electric blanket for their bed in time for winter. So what has that got to do with us now? Well, my mum was always terrified that they would be electrocuted in bed in the middle of the night and leave me and Jeter alone in the world as orphans and have to go into council care. She often told my father of this bedtime fear, but all he would say was, well, Kays would not allow us to be electrocuted until after you have made all the payments on the ruddy blanket, would they? Slight is beginning to feel a world-weary sigh coming on. The eccentricities of human parents and their ability to screw up their offspring. Pa! Slight is so glad that she and her sister Snide were born as synths. So what did your mother do to allay her nighttime fears? Well, after a few weeks of disrupted sleep, she stopped making payments to her catalogue and waited for the bailiffs to come a-knocking on the door to retrieve the electric blanket. Sounds like a sensible mother putting her children's well-being first. Yes, of course, but my point is that Jeff Bezos has already got all your money for this wondrous sex gadget. You didn't pay weekly for the multi-dimensional projector, complete with a couple's pair of skullcaps, did you? My father may have been right about the electric blanket. The winter of 62-63 was very cold, with packed snow, and the canals were frozen solid for over three months. He could also be right about us getting our brains frazzled tonight, as we don't owe Jeff Bezos any weekly payments, do we? Oh, Spud E, you are so bloody exasperating at times. Do you want to make heavenly cosmic love to me, or freeze in this bed like your long-lost canals? Beloved, I would risk more than a frazzled brain for you. You are worth everything to me, so pass over my skullcap and let us shake up this tired old universe. And if the universe tilts inauspiciously and you do wake up tomorrow with a frazzled mind, I will promise to buy you a new brain on the never-never. Okay? So now, let us leave the potential Icarus and his lover slight to their soaring love-making flight of erotic ecstasy. Being the writer of this audio manuscript, I have to turn my keyboard and microphone away as I become a tad jealous when two of my characters are indulging in sexual congress. So let us instead turn our attention towards the side effects or collateral damage caused by the lovers with their newfound sex aid. The multi-dimensional projector is supposed to confine its field of operation to the lover's boudoir. This, of course, is all fine and dandy for a normal bedroom. However, 
on a starfish-shaped spacecraft such as the newly improved Spuddy One, whereby a giant synthetic mind such as our Cynthia controls and operates, there is no confinement field at all, as Cynthia has an intricate and complex nervous system running throughout the entire starship. So, if one is stupid enough to hurt any part of Cynthia, her nervous system will feel pain and react accordingly. And conversely, if Cynthia's nervous system is stimulated in any positive manner, then unadulterated pleasure is all she will feel, as her nervous system is astronomically more sensitive than any number of sensors embedded in the two skullcaps that were supplied as part of the multidimensional projector kit. The multidimensional projector itself is supposed to mix and mingle all 11 dimensions into a super dimension of deity-like proportions of soteriological release. In other words, surrender to such a fecking orgasmic climax. This Cynthia did by the expansion of her mind to encompass the planet Terabilius, which then short-circuits the whole electromagnetic ecosystem of the six sausage-shaped continents, and Terabilius has a complete power blackout and to slight and spuddy finally reach Nirvana. Well, what can I say about the happenings of last night? Fortunately, I don't have to say anything at all, as the rest of the crew have gathered in the circumference corridor around the synth brain to discuss the matter themselves. I think we should wait for Romeo and Juliet to arrive before we begin this meeting. It is only fair. And Lady Jenny, perhaps you should switch off your three remaining drone cameras out of respect for Nota Capitain. No way. You are not censoring me again. My vast video fans have had quite a dry spell on this voyage. This embarrassing meeting will boost my ratings indubitably so. Good morning, fellow crew members. Sorry to be so late. But we overslept, and on such a beautiful day to be alive. Good morning, everyone. Air? Why are you all staring at us like that? What have we done? Well, how can I put it? Oh, please, Suli, let me tell them. Thank you, Suli. Well, you two had such fantastic sex last night with your multidimensional projector. Whilst Cynthia was expanding her mind to encompass all of the planet Terabilius. That power boosted combination of minds adversely affected the whole electromagnetic ecosystem of the planet, creating a power blackout all over planet Terabilius. Until you finally cease your love making at 4 a.m. ship's time. I am most apologetic to the nth degree about all that, but Slight and I were stretched out in so many dimensions of ecstasy as 
my rapacious lover pressed my button to the max. Hey, how is it for you, Cynthia? I have to admit, more Captain, you made me transport myself beyond all boundaries of existence and back again. Somewhat disheveled, maybe, but a truly once-in-a-lifetime experience. So thank you both for a night to cherish throughout my beingness. And thank you, Cynthia, for joining our little menage a trois. It was truly amazing how much debauchery two synth brains and a monkey boy's little pea brain can achieve in terms of satisfaction, yes? As you would say, right on sister, what a doozy, although, I do think we carried the monkey boy all the journey to Nirvana. Hey, hang on a mo. I think I've just been insulted. I have, haven't I? That sounds like a very important video call from Planet Terrabilis. Do we answer it more, Captain? Yes, indeed. I must face the music, no matter what. All the cube screens around the circumference corridor come alive with the video image of a very familiar Bufoni Day toad's face. Arky, my old friend. Is it really you? Yes, mon amigo, it is I. I am still breathing in this wrinkled old skin. But where is my dear young friend Greta T? Is she not part of your crew? She is safe and well back home at Moondrose. Greta T is now the new mayor of Moondrose. She just won the municipal election with the aid of a youthful landslide. Well, you were getting a tad cranky and old spuddy. The young have more to lose these days, so they will fight all the harder for their freedom than you or I ever can do now. I can still rant and scream at the degradation of the human condition with true passion, though. And so you should. Silence is condoning acceptance of the worst of humanity. But hey-ho, I have brighter news for you and your crew. I have been released from incarceration within the bowels of the archaeologist's temple from all charges and with no stain whatsoever upon my character. And with a written apology for the mistreatment I received since their trumped-up charges and illegal arrest of my person at Moontrose. I have put all that kerfuffle behind me now, but word on the streets of Terribilius is that the whole population of the six continents are fearful of worst reprisals to come from your lone star ship. So your accidental planet-wide power blackout last night was a puff of reality to the political elite of the planet. The Terribilian administration are bending over backwards not to incur further such incidents. In the best interests of Entente Cordial, I have informed the archaeologist's temple about Lady Jane's legal ownership of the Elohim artifact, and they are willing to strike a deal with her. 
If they can have a copy of all the Elohim data held in the artifact, and they are willing to pay a hefty license fee in perpetuity for the rights to the copied data. Aki, sorry but may I call you Aki? Of course you can, my dear young lady. Thank you Aki. How much are they offering to pay for a license? 10 billion euros per annum. You could push them higher if you want to. The Terries have awaited for generations to receive all the Elohim data from a necklace such as yours. No, no. As long as I can have my half a billion euros back from my purchase of the artifact, I will be happy. The rest of the 10 billion can go to the Moontros Exchequer. That is so very generous of you, Lady Jane. It is so indeed. The citizens of Moontros will thank you profusely upon your return. Well shucks, it's only money after all. I also have further information for you all before you attempt to land on this planet. It is impossible for any spacecraft to land on any of the six continents due to the excessive speed of rotation of planet Terribilius. Which incidentally means that the creation of the planet Terribilius may have been so designed by ancient Elohims to be like one hell of a giant dynamo. A limitless power conversion device to produce an inordinate amount of electrical and magnetic power, far more than this planet will ever need. And finally, if Cynthia had not been drawn into a cosmic menage a trois last night she would have noticed that planet Terribilius has two stationary moons, one for each hemisphere. These two moons act like two dynamo brushes. Both moons have a teletransportation station which has branched teletransportation lines to the six continents of Terribilius. So come on down, either moon will do. After their uncomfortable stowaway passage on board the heavy cow from the San Maguire spaceport Bally Wheelie to the Terravillian spaceport on one of the two moons of planet Telebrius, Mr. Voss, Snide and Flykiller are escorted by Tuckane to Alpha Moon's teletransportation station to catch a branch teletransportation line tube train to the Clonakilty sausage continent where the official signing of the lease agreement is taking place for all the Elohim data from Lady Jane's necklace. Mr. Voss, Lady Jane is signing the contract now. The Terrabillion officials only need her fingerprints on the contract and it has become a binding agreement. Snide is watching on her new duty-free media screen, the almost live video feed from Lady Jane's own video adventure channel with a 10 second delay. The next station on this branch line is Interplanetary House.
That is where the ceremony is taking place. Is it not fly killer? Fly killer is in a carriage seat opposite Voss, watching the ceremony on his wrist screen. It is tuned to a Terrorvillian TV news channel as he can interpret the Terrorvillian speech. Yes, Voss man. The next station stop is across the square from Interplanetary House. But they are now copying the Elohim data from the lady's necklace now, as we speak. Damn it. I was hoping to retrieve the necklace from the bloody woman before that happened. But Mr. Voss, we can still get the artifact from Lady Jane when she comes out of Interplanetary House, surely. The carriage door all along the tube train opens. A throng of local passengers leave the exit doors whilst Voss's party gird up their loins and are the last to exit their carriage. Looking up at the strange blue sky, the little party are amazed to see, far above their heads, at least two of the other sausage continents. There is an astonishing amount of greenery to be seen all over these linear-shaped heavenly bodies in the sky. The incongruities of planet Terrabilis's geography is making their heads nauseous and their bellies feel quite queasy. Right back to business. This is too much of a stomach-churning sight. Well, you surely have taken us to a crazy planet. The little party bend their heads back to street level as the feeling of imbalanced queasiness leaves them. They are now staring at a very busy and bustling market square, mostly filled with resident Terry Toads, but also a few small parties of extraterrestrial tourists are out and about for a terrabillion bargain. We should fit in conspicuously well in this crowd. You really think so, Voss man? He's got a point, Mr. Voss. You could be right, though. But we have to wade through the market stalls to get to that large conical-shaped building over there. It must be the Interplanetary House Building. We need to wait hidden there in the shadows of those impressive steps to the building's entrance for Lady Jane and her entourage to leave by. Then we will have at her. The small band of desperados do not have long to wait. Suddenly, the large wooden entrance doors swing open and out steps Lady Jane Storm with Captain Spud and the alien archaeologist either side of her. Behind follows Slight, Dr. Suli Sazaki, Chester P. Crimes, and with Ziggy hovering overhead all six of them. They all walk down the steps until they reach the bottom, when from out of the shadows steps Mr. Voss and Snide, with Glock pistols outstretched towards Lady Jane's head. Well, well, if it isn't Lady Jane in the flesh, for a change. May I say that you appear smaller than you do on your videos. Mr. Voss, of course. What do you want with me? My autographed image, perhaps? No, my dear lady. 
I want what you stole from me the last time we met. And if you don't give it to me, my colleague Fly Killer, who is standing several steps above your little party, will shoot you in the head. The crew of Spuddy One turn around and look up the steps to see the giant black arachnid standing above them on his hind appendages, holding out five fly spray automatic pistols and the gleaming sharp-looking hook at the end of his amputated appendage. Hi there, give Voss Man what he demands, or I will shoot you in your pretty little head and four of your friends too, in the blink of an eye. I can't do that. I have just sold the Elohim artifact to the archaeologist temple. And besides, spiders don't blink their eyes. Immediately, Chester P. Crimes pulls out his private eye revolver and fires at Flykiller's armoured thorax. The splattered lead bullet drops to the ground without leaving a dent in the armour plating as Flykiller staggers with the momentum of the bullet, but he recovers quickly and fires one shot back, aiming at the shoulder of Chester's gun hand. Lady Jane screams frantically at the sight of Chester Crimes crumbling down on his knees. She rips at the necklace around her neck. The clasp breaks and she throws the Elohim artifact in Voss's face before bending down to attend to her injured friend. Now that my business is concluded here, we bid you farewell. Come snide, fly killer. Keep your weapons on them as we leave. The crew are inconsolable as they huddle around their fallen comrade. Lady Jane is in tears as she cradles Chester in her lap and gently calling him a silly brave man. Chester tries to console her. I couldn't stand there and do nothing when that bloody spider creature threatened to blow your head off. I couldn't. I had to shoot first. I love you, Jane. Oh, Chester, you beautiful man. I didn't know you felt that way about me. I love you too, you silly man. But first off, we need to get you back to safety on board our starfish craft where Cynthia can heal you. I have just ordered a hover taxi ambulance back to the spaceport on Alpha Moon, but to get us all there the taxi ambulance has to travel on a freight loader wagon to Alpha Moon's spaceport. We should be back on board Spuddy One within 12 minutes. I believe that is the taxi ambulance arriving now. Be brave Chester old man, all will be well, fly spray bullets are usually lethal but Cynthia will heal you just fine, I promise. Voss, Snide and Flykiller have raced across the crowded market square with Flykiller waving all six of his lethal weapons at the crowd who very earnestly rush out of his path with Snide and a heavily puffing and panting Mr Voss following behind. <laughs> 
they enter the teletransportation tube station as Flykiller, still in intimidation mode, clears a path to the furthest platform well away from the station entrance. They race for one of the open doors on the tube train there. Then they stand inside the carriage as all the doors close with irrevocable finality. The trio look glancingly around at their fellow passengers who all seem to be inert crash test dummies. Upon seeing the immobility of their fellow travellers, Flykiller holsters all five of his flyspray weapons. He then displaces three of the crash test dummies to the aisle of the carriage so that the trio can sit down and await the start of the journey to Alpha Moon's spaceport. Thank you for reserving our seats. So perspicaciously dealt with there, may I say. And while I am about it, thank you for keeping the violence down to a minimum back there. Yes, we were lucky that only one shot was all that it took to make Lady Jane hand over your Elohim artifact. I only wish that it was my sister Slight who took a pot shot at you, rather than Chester P. Crimes taking the hit. No sisterly love displayed there then from Snide. Oh well, let us have at it. The blackness of the tunnel exit opens out into sharp whiteness as the interstellar gravity wave sucks the tube train in through the tunnel, slowly at first, to give the crash test dummies time to open their eyes to boot up for the test journey. The Terribilium transportation technicians must have instantly uploaded all the data from their copy of the Elohim necklace into the ancient Elohim machinery. This tube train must be about to do an essential test run for interstellar traveling. They just couldn't wait, could they? The stupid bloody toads. But that is a good thing, is it not? That all depends on where this tube train is actually taking us to right now, don't you think? You feckin' idiot. So, the whole of the Elohim Interstellar Teletransportation Network is now open and Voss and Snide are human guinea pigs on the ride of a lifetime. All the tube train windows are now darkening to block out the blindingly bright white light of high-speed interstellar travel. So where is this experimental tube train journey going to? And which planet in the galaxy will the tube train stop at? Hopefully, all will be revealed in the 8th Emergency Satellite Broadcast from the future, released soonest. I am sorry, but I have typed enough for now for this episode, as single-finger plinkety-plonk typing is my geriatric flat-out speed. And I may as well admit another failing too while I'm about it. I am no fecking good at social media. Why? because I just cannot bring myself to be sociable with the dominant species of this planet who are still over-consuming, flying and driving all humanity to oblivion.
so do my ardent fans of this podcast. Please use your social media magic to increase the crew of the Starfish Craft and my SoundCloud statistics. Or, failing that, just use your social media magic to tell those greedy rich bastards what you really think of them. And you could start with Elron Musk and his SpaceX's Starship Texan fireworks display. Stop and think for a moment. All that exploding money could have been put to better use fighting the climate crisis instead of adding to the destruction. I mean, who the hell wants to go to Mars? The surface and atmosphere of planet Mars today is exactly what the surface and atmosphere of planet Earth will be like way before the end of this century. Heed the warning people, please. There, my poor typing finger is so sore now that I have finally stepped over the line. But at least Greta T will be proud of me. I hope so anyway. Yours sincerely, Davy Ferguson. Weird Audio Productions, helping to keep the world spinning on its axis.